time to tell the Christian story from beginning to end uh, and to dialogue together about it. We're eight years in, and it's become a true tradition at our church. Um, traditions are super important to faith communities. Uh, there are so many shifts and changes we have to make as a church plant in San Francisco. People are all the time coming and going from the city and from our family. And so rhythms like this are anchors to faith. Uh, they uh, sustain us through change. They're also really important for new people to experience it. So some of you have joined our church since last January, and so this is an opportunity for you to be grafted into a community with history. Um, when you do it year after year, uh, it also helps you notice your own story. I always find that really remarkable. How am I reacting to the story this year differently than I was last year based on where I'm at? Um, emotionally and spiritually. The story stays the same, but I change year to year, and uh, you might notice yourself having a different reaction. So we do the story of God every year for tradition's sake. Um, we also walk through the story of God every year because one of our distinctives as a church is that we are a story-formed people. We believe stories are important. That's why we have a liturgy uh, that follows a story every Sunday. That's why we follow the Christian calendar, which uh, walks through the life of Christ from December to Easter um, and really to Pentecost uh, as well. Uh, stories shape us. If you've ever read, listened to, or watched a brilliant story, then you know that narrative has a unique way of speaking to you, uh, different from facts or principles or instructions. And so you can think of a good book you've read or a movie you've seen that changed how you viewed the world. Uh, we, when we experience a story like that, it makes us want to share it with others. Uh, we retell it. We always are excited when we connect with somebody who also loves that story and we talk about it and we, um, the deeper meanings, we see teachings elsewhere. Stories can influence entire cultures for centuries. Uh, last month I read for the first time A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I had never read it before. Uh, we also watched Spirited on Apple TV, which is an adaptation of A Christmas Carol. And it's pretty remarkable that here 108, 180 years later, uh, you still have people interacting with this uh, simple story because it has a power to it. Um, it affects people. It says something true. Uh, it's a great story. Well, for Christians, the Bible is the greatest story. Um, we often, though, fail to read it as a story. Uh, we pull out verses and beliefs and doctrines from the Bible and systematize it. And that is a strategy that has its proper place. But we need to remember that the Bible is first and foremost a story. That's how it should be read. It's a narrative with a beginning, middle, and end. And that's what we want to remember this month. That's what we want to re-experience or perhaps experience for the first time. Christians find our identity in this ancient yet ever-relevant story of creation, rebellion, promise, redemption, kingdom, and restoration. So you'll see these uh, symbols. Uh, those are ways that we've captured these six chapters to the story, and it's an easy way to follow the story. It's an easy way to remember as you try to share it with somebody else um, that that is the arc of the story. Creation, rebellion, promise, redemption, kingdom, and restoration. This story tells us who we are, how to live, where hope is found. Uh, like I said, this story comes from the Bible. Uh, some of you uh, believe the Bible is completely true. Others believe only part of it is true, um, or that it's true as a metaphor, but not really true. Uh, for our purposes this month, that's okay. Uh, it's a good thing. It makes our discussion more interesting if we come at it from different places and different perspectives. And so um, 
I encourage you to challenge the story. Uh, that'll be some of the invitation as we talk about it. You can say, I don't like that character, or it feels like God overreacted there. No emotion, question, or thought is off limits. Uh, this is a safe place to challenge the story. Truth comes out as we challenge it, as we test it. Um, as you can imagine, I am a pastor, and I believe that the story is completely true um, and good, even the hard parts, uh, but you're not going to hurt my feelings if you think it's untrue. Um, I can deal. Uh, even if you think it's ugly and wicked, like I'm okay with hearing that. I want to hear that from you. I'm not going to try and change your mind. This is the sort of like one time on a Sunday where I'm not trying to convince you of something. Uh, that's not what my job is here. So, and as a result, like it, it creates for a really fun space because we're freed from that burden. Um, and so we can give each other permission to wrestle over things in the story that affect us positively, negatively. Uh, for those who don't believe the story, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that those who do believe in the truth of the Bible, they wrestle with the same things that you wrestle with. And so you'll, uh, we'll find some unity here as we're all people uh, responding to this story of God. So wherever you're at, our purpose this morning is to grow individually and in relationship. A good story inspires us to grow. A good story draws us into community. And whether you believe it's true or not, this is definitely a good story. In terms of rules, there is just one rule. Um, as we dialogue, we're only allowed to discuss content that has already emerged from the story. Um, so if you know something from a later narrative, don't jump ahead. I'm going to ask that of you. So for example, we're not talking about Jesus until week four. The first three weeks are the Old Testament, the last three weeks are the New Testament. And so that's because the narrative doesn't bring him up until that point. There's maybe hints or whatever, but, but we're sort of trying to experience the tension of the story. Let the story unfold in order like you would if you were watching a movie with someone. Uh, it's an important rule that preserves the quality of our time. It keeps the playing field level for everybody um, so that even if you are coming into this room and you've never heard any of these stories, you get to experience it freshly. Um, and then for all of us, it allows us to experience the story as a narrative with tension, uh, with a beginning, middle, and an end. So with that, we'll begin. And so the process is, um, I'll, it's like story time where I'll read a narrative. I actually did include a few on the back table where I wrote out. So if you find yourself um, in the discussion really wishing you could look at the story, it's printed. There's like 15 copies that you can uh, follow along if that's helpful to you. And, and because this is a little bit of a longer time with people talking and discussion, feel free to get up and grab coffee. The bathroom is up and down the hall um, to walk around, stand in the back, uh, do whatever would make you comfortable. Well, uh, let's begin. And I want to begin with a question. If you could imagine the world the way it should be, what would it be like? Less rain. Less rain. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking no rent. <laughs> no unmet desires. Ooh. No unmet desires. Unity. Unity. Peace. Peace. What else comes to mind? More rain. More rain. <laughs> That's disunity, right? That's right. <laughs> Bring it in. Yeah. No pain. No pain. Youth, what would you say? What if if you could imagine the world the way it should be, what would it be like? Mike has to say no rules. 
no rules. All right? Or kids make the rules. <laughs> yes, Jillian? No Mandarin class. No Mandarin class. It all speaks the same language. Um, well, according to this story, there was a day when the world was very much like you imagined. A day when it will be so again. It was a world where there was no sickness or pain or death, no pollution, poverty, war, or hatred. The story suggests it is possible that the world that all humans want, what we all dream of, is exactly the world that God originally created and intended for us. And it asks us to consider that maybe this same God actually has a plan and a way to set everything right again. Let's start at the beginning of the story. Act one, creation. Scene one, beginnings. This story is found in the Bible and is about God, a being that was before all things and created this earth and everything on it. God alone always does what is good and right and perfect, and the Bible calls him holy. Do you know what God created first? When God created the world, the angels were already there watching. Angels were created before everything else that they might watch God create. When the angels saw God's power and his ability to make many different things, they sang together and shouted for joy, giving glory to God. There was one angel, though, who did not praise God. This angel was named Lucifer, which means bright morning star. When Lucifer saw the other angels singing songs to God and shouting great things about God, he became jealous. He wanted them to do that for him instead of God. He said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars and I will be like God. Then Lucifer went and convinced a third of the angels to follow him. He led these fallen angels, now called demons, in a rebellion against God. All rebellion against God and his ways is called sin, but God knew what Lucifer was thinking and doing because he knows everything. And because of God's perfect goodness, evil is never allowed to remain in his presence. So God cast Lucifer and the rebellious angels into darkness on the earth to face final punishment later. Lucifer's name was also changed. Instead of being known as the bright morning star, he was now called Satan, which means adversary. Act 1, scene 2. First humans. After creating angels, God created another being, one that was different than the angels called humans. So God took the earth and prepared it as a place for humans to live. As his spirit moved over the chaotic surface of the earth, he spoke the world into existence. With his word, he made light, separating it from the darkness. He divided the oceans and the sky. He gathered the waters, revealing the dry land, growing plants, flowers, and trees, all with seeds to reproduce themselves. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars, setting the seasons in motion. He filled the seas with fish and the sky with birds and the earth with all kinds of wild animals. God put great care and creativity into all of his creation. Then he looked at everything and said, this is good. After he had prepared the earth, God said, let us make humans in our image to be like us. They will be in charge of the earth and the plants and the animals that live on it. So God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed breath into him, giving him life. This man would be called Adam, which means humanity. 
Noting that it was not good for Adam to be alone, he created and brought to Adam all the animals, asking him to name them, but none were suitable companions. So God created the first woman from one of Adam's ribs to be a companion and helper for him. When Adam saw her, he said, she is part of me. Her name was Eve, which means life. God joined them in marriage, a close relationship of husband and wife where they devoted themselves to each other. Although Adam and Eve were naked, they felt no shame. So God created both the man and the woman in his own image. God gave them authority over other creatures. God blessed the man and the woman with the ability to continue creating through having children and through cultivating a garden. He told them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over everything on the earth. He placed the first humans in a beautiful garden, a place where they had everything they needed to live the best life possible, one with freedom, rest, and joy, and where they could walk with God. In the center of the garden, God placed two special trees. One was the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said that Adam and Eve could eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He warned them not to eat from this tree or they would surely die. Daily, God would come and spend time with the humans, walking with them in the cool of the day. He showed them how to live in the best possible way, a life lived close to God and under his protection, a life that is full and complete. Adam and Eve loved being with God. Now, as God looked over all of his creation, he thought, this is very good. And after creating all of this, God rested. And he set aside one day of rest every week for his creation, called the Sabbath day. So let's discuss what we just heard. And so it's a dialogue, not a quiz. Um, if we look at, consider the main characters of the story thus far, we've got God, the angels, Lucifer and his demons, Adam, Eve, and the creation itself is a kind of character, with God and mankind being central, but the other characters still important. What strikes you about each of these characters? What did you notice listening? What's their relationship to one another? What, what came about? Everyone's backstory is known except God's. Okay. Yeah, that's fascinating. Very interesting. Are Lucifer and Baal, as well as Rao, mm -hmm. are they uh, the same in uh, uh, Protestant Baptist, uh, uh, Southern Baptist? Uh, that Baal, would be, it would sort of Baal. be, if we thought about... Uh, Baal or Baal, like that would almost be like if we were telling a different story from the Bible story. Um, if we thought about him, but it's interesting. Uh, we got a puzzle for Christmas on mythical creatures, um, and one of the and just like throughout the world, and it was fascinating how many of the mythical creatures, like in every continent, um, they had all these, and how many of them are serpentine. It's really wild um, from all these stories all over. It's still early in the... Your still early in the story. Mm -hmm. What else do you notice? There's a lot of meaning between like, what the name means. You between know? the names? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what are some of the meanings of names? So like Eve equals life, Adam, humanity. So they're kind of a who they are through the name. 
Ja. characters necessary to your current life? I find it interesting that even before humans are created, there's already the introduction of good and evil. Like, why? Really? Really? We're going to start the story that way? Like, we don't need to get created and there's already bad stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah, so we're not, yeah, we're not cheating by talking about good and evil at this point. Because it is, it is, it is there. Well, which mirrors life, but life also has, you know, adversity and good and evil. You know, so both. Yeah. And story, it would be hard to have a story with no, like, I think fundamental to narrative is that there has to be conflict or tension. Or like, if you had a story of just, like, it was good and it's not good, it's not really a story, it's just... Um, so. Yeah. I think the Lucifer demons part is probably the hardest to believe and I guess see in your own day-to-day -day reality. But I think yeah. I think we all agree like evil exists in the world. There's broken things and evil things that happen in the world. But then I think the constant awareness that there's this like being behind the scenes, creating and wreaking havoc and all that stuff is one aspect that's <clears throat> disconnected in my day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Because we do, we, we do need something for evil, some explanation for evil, but then to have like a personal, like a personalized uh, explanation is hard. This backstory is like always weird to me too because it's like, why did he think he could win? Mm. Like, I, like, I understand he was jealous, but it's like, these angels know God, and then a third of them are like, yeah, we can take him. Like, not only are your numbers, like, lower than, like, you're already, a, you only have a third. Like, yeah. it's not like he got, like, 50% of them. Like, they were going to lose no matter what. So I always found it weird that they rebelled at all. Um, because it's just, it's like, yeah. Well, and in the context of, like, there hadn't been rebellion up until that point. Like, what was this? What was the seed of the original rebellion? Yeah. Where, where did that like corrupt file even originate? Yeah. 
creation stories that are parallel to Genesis show human beings born out of conflict, and so in uh, Greek and Egyptian mythology, where there's a fight between the gods, and then out of that fight, they're like blood or guts or whatever turns into humans. <laughs> um, even if you think about the Darwinian story, uh, humans are birthed from conflict, right? the survival of the fittest, we just like did it better than other people over time. Um, the biblical story, humans are created out of love. Even if they're, as we're saying, there's maybe some conflict over here, the humans are created out of affection and out of love. Um, how would that impact our understanding of humanity in the world? That distinction of born from conflict, born from love and I'm not like totally familiar with other conflict or conflict origin stories, but I would assume that there would be resentment on both sides, like resentment, like of the creators towards this thing that they made, that maybe they didn't want to make and want to make the conflict. But then that there would also be a lot of resentment from the creation towards whoever the creator was of like, damn, like 
they do, it seems like you didn't want me. Yeah. And this was like a byproduct. Um, and this feels really different than that. Yeah. Yeah, other religious systems, pagan religious systems, are more about appeasement um, or secrecy, trying to skirt up, skirt away from the attention of the gods. Yeah, if in, if in other origin stories, humanity is the product of violence, seems like an implication would be permission. Mm. back to your first question of like if the world was perfect how would we imagine it to be it kind of gives me that hope that God did have a perfect and beautiful vision when he created the world and you know I don't know if this is breaking the rules again but like he is here with us and we are co-laboring to bring that vision about now and then in the future we have hope and we can look forward to you know the fulfillment of all of this and, and sort of a new version of that perfect creation in eternity where everything is in harmony and there's no conflict and you know love is like the overarching value yeah yeah it's almost, it's almost like that's what like like home mm. and life is a meandering about outside but like we're making our way back home it's like the difference between a home of violence or a home of love and it changes the way that we view that meandering. It's almost like you get outside the neighborhood and it starts to feel very scary and like isolating and you don't quite know what and I think it's like identity too, you know, like that we're born kind of like George was saying out of like love instead of resentment or violence. Like that's who we are. It's like back to that. Yeah. Yeah it almost gives us like to John's point about like if it was something that was born out of violence, like instead it's born out of love, and so it actually gives us that permission to create peace and love. Yeah. And that's like actually what we're kind of supposed to be doing. Yeah. And that's like in this first scene to our first two scenes, you're seeing that. Where God is like, I'm creating out of love and I want these people that are very good, I want to be with them, I want them to be with me. And so if that's true, then what does that say about what I'm supposed to what I could do now. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard other <clears throat> uh, theologians like criticize <clears throat> conceptions of the gospel that start in Genesis 3 and don't include Genesis 1 and 2. They're like, we need to, as we tell the story, you know, you know, we don't just say all people are sinners. That's not the first. That's not the first scene of the story. The, the scene starts with God creating us good, and we need to like really meditate and think through that. I think similarly, humans are set apart from the rest of creation um, and from angels as well, um, because they are created in the image of God and according to His likeness. That's what distinguishes Adam and Eve from animals and angels, and also from God um, being image and not God Himself. What difference does this make? Um, how do you feel about 
humanity's core identity being attached to God? Uh, does that make us more free or less free? Well, it's kind of oh, interesting after like thinking of Lucifer's rebellion, like jealousy of mm -hmm. wanting to be like God. And so as like the secondary creation changing that by creating us in the image of God. Yeah. Like that almost I would think would create more of that like jealousy or you know, when we're look like some piece of perfection, like to want the glory on us. Um, I don't know, so that's just kind of interesting. I don't know really how that affects me, <laughs> but it's interesting to think about that change. Like, is that supposed to help that? Or I would think that that would exacerbate the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amount of power to his likeness. Mm -hmm. So for good or evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going back to your um, thing on love, I was thinking about um, it kind of changes how we think about the idea of love too. If, if love is some kind of idea we have in our mind, but really our story is coming from violence, it, it doesn't feel like a real idea. It kind of feels like an almost accidental thing that has happened as opposed to if our origins are love that that kind of imprint of love that we feel on us or that longing is actually a longing back towards something that of substance right and that so it, it even um, I don't know to me kind of calls into question like, well what what is love if, you know at all As we just wrap up this story, we still have one more story uh, to get through. Um, I am curious how you feel about the two trees placed in the center of the garden. If there were no trees, how would that change the story? The tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what's the key fact from the story? About the trees? Like, why are the trees there? Why are the trees there? Mm -hmm. Um... And and it goes to the no rules statement that right heaven would be a place with no rules. It's like well, Eden has rules, <laughs> one rule. Yeah. So how do you feel about that? And then what? But then how would it change the story if they if they weren't there? But does Eden have rules because Satan is there too? Mm. So like whereas like in heaven there is no Satan, and so I guess would it look different? says death like I always thought of it as like a curse like oh you know like you're gonna die if you do this like this is a really bad thing to do so but it's interesting to think about it as just like a matter of fact type of thing like 
these are just the consequences of either one, mm. instead of, yeah, like we talk about the curse of a sense of like, anyway, don't want to get ahead of myself. Yeah. <laughs> but like, the idea that like, he's just being matter of fact about it. Yeah, what is it punishment, or is it just they, a consequence? Technically, they don't know what that is yet. Yeah. I think it's choice. He gave us choices. Yeah, I'm curious how, because we talk about it being essential to a story, to keep the story interesting. Is it is it a key to keep us interesting? Like, to, to keep us being distinct from the animals, having... A, a, a depth and maturity to our characters um, being in the image of God. Yeah, I think all spiritual beings must have choice, which is why, like to get to the question earlier, why the angels could fall and why human beings could also have trees to choose from versus the animals don't really have the same kind of choice. Um, so I think if the trees weren't there, it would be hard to say that man was truly made in God's image, or, you know, God chose to create, create out of love, but if there was no choice to love God or not love God, then it doesn't seem like what the people would be doing is, is loving. I mean, it's not really love if you're just forced into it, even if you, it, or it's a different kind of love, I think, like, yeah, like there, like there has to be some other possibility for there to be love, it seems to me. There's a C.S. Lewis quote um, in which he says, we must be human to know the difference between affection and impulse. We must be spiritual to know the difference between uh, affection and morality. And I think in some ways it's exactly what it was supposed to be. Yeah, I think it goes back to what Andy was saying earlier, too, and, like, why did God have angels that would disobey him, right? Like, does evil have to exist in order for good to exist? Does this representation of disobedience have to exist to have obedience exist? I guess if there was no second tree, there would be no, yeah, there's no choice, right? There's no, like, sense of, or freedom to be obedience or anything. But it's also interesting to me that it's called the knowledge of good and evil, and it's like not, it's not the tree of life and the tree of death. Like, if you had those two choices, you'd be like, mm. oh, okay, like, why would I choose the tree of death? But it's <laughs> called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's like, okay, this is something I actually do want. <laughs> Even though I know what the consequence is, like, the fact that it's called that makes it actually enticing now. I think it makes the story more interesting, for sure. Let's move forward and read the story, and then uh, it'll be very relevant, and so uh, we'll be able to come uh, along to talk about the trees. Just to say that there's two trees, but you can only not eat a one. That's right. We can try. Act 1, scene 3, separation. Oh, no, this is Act 2, um, scene 1. <coughs> this story is also from the Bible. One day, Satan, disguised as a serpent, the most clever of all the wild beasts in the garden, came to the woman. And he asked Eve, did God really say you must not eat any of the fruit of the, in the garden? 
You told them, no, we can't eat from any tree in the garden. It's only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we are not allowed to eat from, or even touch, or we will die. The serpent said to her, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat of it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. When Eve saw how good and delicious the fruit looked and that it would make her wise, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to Adam, her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. They chose not to believe God and to believe the serpent. Instantly, their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked. They became filled with shame and fear. They strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover their nakedness. Towards evening, they heard God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees. God called to them, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you coming, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God answered, why are you ashamed of being naked? Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? Adam blamed Eve, it was the woman that you gave me, she gave me some. Then God said to Eve, how could you do this? Eve blamed the serpent, saying, the serpent tricked me into eating the fruit. So God said to the snake, because you have done this, you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. You will be the enemy of the woman and her seed. You will bite his heel, but he will crush your head. God's heart was broken because of their disobedience, but he could not ignore what they had done. God always does what is good, right, and perfect. His perfect justice required that there be consequences for rebellion. So God punished Adam and Eve by putting them out of the garden, outside of his direct care and protection. No longer following God's ways, having divorced themselves from the altar and sustainer of life, they were now subject to sickness, pain, and death. Not only were Adam and Eve punished as a result of their disobedience, but all of creation fell under a curse. The whole world became broken. Nothing remained as it was supposed to be, except God, who was still good, right, and perfect, and nothing could ever change that. God continued to love Adam and Eve, he even made clothing for them out of the animal skins so they would not be ashamed. He still allowed them to have dominion over the earth, though now their work would be difficult. God still took care of his creation as well, never letting it ever become as bad as it could be. So this story, um, Eve decided to eat the fruit because she saw it was beautiful, good to eat, and powerful to make one wise. How do these temptations strike you? We sort of alluded to the fact that it wasn't called the tree of death, that there was something attractive about the tree. But do you think that what she saw was true about the fruit? Idea of 
that they're, oh sorry, one tree that they couldn't take from. That there's something that they don't have and she wants it. Yeah. And I think that that's true of all of us and that's like uh, what kind of Crystal was talking about, that we have a choice and but if you're presented with uh, if you're presented with the, the notion of that you're missing out on something, there's a more of a desire to, to take it. Yeah, what does that remind us of? It makes me think of when you tell a kid you can't do something <laughs> or you can't have it, or they want it like even more. That's all they can focus on. Yeah. Regardless of even if they wanted it to begin yeah. with, it like adds that desire desire factor to it. There's yeah. no like there's no notion that she would, would wanted it beforehand. Mm. <laughs> like they, if they were more than happy to walk by it every day and not take from it. But the the hint of you're missing out on something, which fits God as the bad guy. <laughs> mm, how so? Like, oh, we didn't know about this, but then all of a sudden you tell about us about it and we want it. Like, oh, so you think at that point was the seed? We are, where did the temptation start? When Jesus, when God said, "Here's a tree, you can't eat it," or did it start when Satan suggested? Where do you think it started? You're thinking it started with uh, just the introduction of. Well, it's just oh. like if if knowing like human psychology, like oh, let's, let let me tell them there's this one thing they can't have. Mm. Okay. You know, like you know what you created, right? What do you think? You're gonna do? <laughs> he, I feel like he did it intentionally. I mean, of course he did it intentionally. So he knew that they would eat it, mm. but he's still teaching them through it. So I don't know. I think that. Yeah. He is leading the witness a little bit, but it's more our good. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't thought about it in that way before, though. Like, did they want it before Satan entered, before the serpent came? Like, were they happy to just walk past it every day? And they're like, oh, we have 10,000 other trees that we can eat from. We don't need to eat from that one. It's fine. They, they haven't even got kiwis yet. <laughs> you know? There's so many things that they Yeah, I, I wonder, did they want it? Or did they only start wanting it when... The serpent came and said, hey, why did God tell you you couldn't eat that? Yeah. What did, go ahead. I was going to say, she says to the serpent that he says we can't eat it or touch it. Mm -hmm. And I think that means they've been having conversations about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's already been obsessing about it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and has certain, like, uh, were you, uh, if Eve was already creating God's image, uh, what is tempting about being like God? So that speaks to, uh, like, digging into what Vicky is exploring. There was something she was lacking. What What is tempting? She was already creating the image of God, so what does it mean to be like God? Yeah, that really stuck out to me this year. Um, I had it circled already in my Bible, so maybe I had a thought that I don't remember. But there's this <laughs> distinction of knowing good and evil like God. So did they not know good and evil before that point? They just only understood. So yeah, what is their mental state there beforehand? I, I think it, I keep thinking of like mystery and certainty and how like they were unwilling to like not know or like embrace mystery, or like they were seeking after the knowledge of good and evil. Like they, you know what I mean? Like they weren't just willing to say like, that's something I can't know and leave it at that. 
I just I'm mirroring that with kind of my own experiences of the church, where I feel like we as a church have a really really hard time being able to just sit with the unknown and like embrace it as as it is what it is kind of a, a outlook. I don't know. It just struck me as like yeah, this whole like knowledge and seeking after like knowledge and how that um, is like an enticing. You know, uh, idea. Yeah, and I, I sort of wonder if the temptation was also a bit of a shortcut. That if they had gone a thousand years of, of obedience and not taking from that tree, would they would that not teach them the knowledge of good and evil in a way? Where actually the way to know good and evil without death is obedience. And so that they could have obtained knowledge that way, but instead Satan offered like, oh, there's another way you can get you can know. You can just like, you know, just take and eat. And so they, they knew it, but God is actually like, oh, I actually was trying to protect you from knowledge in that perspective. Like that is not a good that that gives you death. Um, but they would have eventually known, but known good and evil through obedience, through just trusting the Lord. Um, and then potentially, like, more interactions with a different kind of interaction with serpent, because that would have been a way to know, too, right? Um, to recognize, like, this guy's not good. Uh, well, but I think they, they got a knowledge of good and evil, but they got mm -hmm. their own knowledge of good and evil. They then determined what they thought was good and evil, and they yeah. didn't get to know what God's
is that like, like what punishment is there and could that like okay, I can't talk about the other guy, so I'm not gonna talk about him. <laughs> but I'm like, well what like like what would have been the consequence if he ate from that tree too? Because that, they say we can't like close up I mean it doesn't say in this passage, but it's like I'm assuming that it's in the Bible, so I'm able to talk about it. But yeah, like, that's right. He said, you know, like, let's block them off from Eden so they, can, they can't eat from the, the life tree, the yeah. eternal life tree. And so, I mean, like, what have, like, that bugs me more that that tree's there. Because what, hap- what would have happened if we ate from that tree? Because, like, if death, is the, if death was the payment for sin, if death wasn't available to us, then what? I, I think my understanding of that tree is that the, the tree of eternal life is that I have to continue eating it. Because I don't have the ability to have life within myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's sort of like if I keep eating it, I stay alive. Okay. And so that was maybe the like, we don't want them to stay alive forever. Like, we want them to die, you know, because that's, yeah, it's not in our story, but in Genesis. There is a, there's an element of mercy in God guarding humans from eating the tree of eternal life. Um, so, like, you have to keep eating from that tree, because, I mean, I think it's like, or is it like you eat one, and then you got eternal life? Because that feels really problematic to me, because mm-hmm. that feels real frustrating. Like, why, like, what if, like, like if I was Satan, and like, all I had to do is eat one bite of that, I'd be like, you eat from that tree first, and then you eat from this tree. Yeah, yeah. Because well, that would have really screwed us. Yeah. People dictate everything. That's right. Uh, I mean, that's sort of the like legend of vampires. The like miserable lives of them living forever um, and not able to die, um, except you know in certain circumstances. But um, so to speak to this question, I think like what's similar about Eve's temptation is actually to the first act of the story. Lucifer is like, what if I can be like God? And I can, I can you know, take over. And so Satan's kind of infecting the same jealousy in Eve and unfortunately, like that. Yeah. Yeah, I find that like a really interesting, like this is the first parallel in the story. Like you have these two like, uh, conceptions of ideas that are like, what if I could be like God and then doing something about it? And like, I mean, I don't want to, jump too far ahead in the story here, but like it's, I, I really like already seeing this kind of plan like get laid out. Um, you see these first beings of creation, angels, who don't die. They just get cast out. And then God makes humans who now like will die. And the person that first sinned amongst the angels drags down the humans with him. And, I don't know, it's just, like, I'm starting to see kind of these cause and effect things, and, like, God is really, he had, like, he's not doing this and, like, oh, see what will happen. Like, he knows what's going to happen, and, like, he's doing all these things, and uh, it's all, like, for a reason. And I don't know if we, like, I mean, just based off these first two acts, like, I don't think we see what the full reason is yet. Um, but it is like it's cool just seeing these parallels already from the get go. Yeah, it's a well crafted yeah story. How did God respond to Adam and Eve's decision? What was his first response? Oh, 
curse them before he clothed them? Yeah, but even before that, so the clothing, the curse. Where are you? Where are you? Yeah, yeah that's his, his first words to them post-fall is a question. What does that teach us about God? Is it like an invitation mm. for relationship? That, yeah. That all of this is designed, that even the trees and the place and the creation and the freedom that we're given, or that we have and we're given is to have this relationship and to walk with him. Yeah. So now he's coming to walk with them. And they are, they have distanced themselves because they've chosen their own way of seeing good and bad. Yeah. And so now he's like, where are you? Where did you go? Not because he doesn't know where they are, but doesn't know, like, doesn't have that sense of relationship. So yeah. he's asking them, why feels like pursuit. Like he knew what happened. He could have just like, you know, levied the consequences immediately, but it's like he continues to like seek us or like pursue us, you know? Yeah, definitely, it definitely exposes further in the depth of distance um, in Adam and Eve as they talk, as they blame shift. They blame, as Adam blames God, essentially. It's the woman that you gave me, she tempted me. Um, it's, pretty, it's a pretty devastating story. Um, 
we need to wrap up, but you know, there's so much more in this. You know, there are just questions to ponder throughout the week and, and to discuss together. Um, how God, you know, he asked a question and pursued, but then ultimately did curse the serpent. He doesn't, and he curses the ground. He doesn't, he doesn't curse Adam and Eve, but he does, there are consequences, and he casts them out of the garden, and he covers them. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, teasing out, like, what are the consequences? Why couldn't God overlook their disobedience? Like, why couldn't we do a do-over at this point? You know, it's just one, as far as, you know, just one time. Like, what, why did their action require a response in the moment? Um, and then just really, as you uh, move through the week, just like, do you think God responded the right way? Um, how could he have responded differently? And what, how would that have changed the story? What would that have done? What is the positive of that? Um, but what's also the negative um, if he had responded differently than he did? Uh, well, thanks so much for gathering with us this morning. Obviously, he spent a whole one out of six weeks just on these three chapters because they're so foundational to the story and there are patterns that will develop. So we'll move a bit quicker <laughs> moving forward. Uh, but we'll spend two more weeks in the Old Testament and then three weeks uh, in the New Testament uh, uh, until we are able to close it out. Um, these three chapters of the Bible are the origin story of the universe. It's vital for the Christian. They have a tremendous amount of explanatory power. Um, and so meditate on them, know them well. Um, I just want to quickly draw our attention as we move to communion um, to the either-or on offer in Genesis 1 through 3. Um, in Genesis 1 and 2, God made everything, and it was good. He made humanity, male and female, it was very good. And then in Genesis 3, Satan enters, tempts Eve, and we learn something about the nature of temptation, and, and there's something about it that you guys have drawn out, that there's this appeal to be self-made instead of God-made, um, self-directed instead of God-directed. That's the question put forward to Eve. Are you satisfied with how God made you? Um, are you okay with God being God and you just being the image of God? Or are you, like me, jealous? Uh, do you want the knowledge of good and evil in your own terms? Uh, Graham Cole uh, has a book on angels and demons, which is fascinating, called Against the Darkness. Um, and he says, one might say that as an angel, Satan was created by God, but as a fallen angel, as Satan, he is self-made. And that is a powerful thing to think through, especially in a culture that really values self-made people, people who are able to pull themselves up from their bootstraps and, and who are able to um, have these awesome stories. Um, the opening chapters of Genesis are hard to interpret, but at the end of the day, this basic message is that God made everything and God made you, and will we accept God's creation of us? Will we accept God's recreation of us in Christ as we step out and, and approach the table? Um, we need Jesus, his body and his blood, his work, his spirit. In Christ, we can be remade, regenerated, redeemed, washed clean, and made unashamed again. And so, um, would you ponder that as you approach the table?